Um, we're walking through our worship series. And, um, you know, I, sometimes I just, I just need to have fun with some stuff. And so we're going to be talking this morning about what it means to uh, raise hands during worship. And um, just through a series of things, I was shown something um, on that magical thing called the internet that I thought would be at least a little bit fun for us as we consider what it means to raise hands as a part of worship. Jimmy, would you run this fun little thing for us? You know what blesses me is that there's so many different people from different uh, denominations here tonight, and um, and I know that each church has its own worship style, you know, which is cool. Some people are more expressive in worship, some people more subtle, and it's all good. Um, I go to a church that's pretty expressive in worship. It's um, it's a hand raising church. That's what it is, right? That's what you know. Anybody here go to a hand raising church? Sweet. Who here does not go to a hand raising church? Some of you are trying. You're like, I can't. I want to. I need to get some momentum. Totally cool. But hey, if you're not used to going to a hand-raising church, you want to go and join us, feel free to join us. But don't feel like you've got to join right in, okay? Start slow. we got a lot of different hand-raises that we use. We actually have names for our hand-raises. So I'm going to walk you through real quick, okay, what they are, just to let you know. Say you're at my church. Music is rocking. Start slow. Hands in the pockets, little elbow flap. You're fine. Very subtle. Get warmed up. Get your heart rate up. When you're warmed up, start with the first one. Ready? Carry the TV. Carry the TV. That's our first one. Very subtle. Go to big screen. Big screen, a little wider. Next one's my fish was this big. My fish was this big. If you're a liar, you go out there. That's fine. Don't worry about it. Jesus loves you, Grace. Next one's hold my baby, hold my baby. Got dueling light bulbs. That's our next one, dueling light bulbs. Got goalpost. Everybody knows goalpost. Throwing a heartburn. A lot of people like to do heartburn. Double heartburn, right back to goalpost. What's my favorite? Mufasa. Mufasa, that's my favorite. The circle of life. Tim, can you go higher? Yes, you can. You can take one hand, go a bunch of different stuff. Pointer, hatchet, schoolroom. Release the doves, give the Lord a high five. Press it out. A lot of women like to wash the window. Wash the window. And when you're comfortable there, go for the big three. Village people, Rocky, touchdown. There you go. There's your big three. You're set. <laughs> You're a pro. You know? Right. Uh, but here's the thing with worship. Don't try to be perfect. I think we try to... Why don't we shut it down, Jimmy? Thanks. That, I'm sorry. I just found that funny. And so for like the end of the week, I literally was in the office on Friday. And I'm like, village people, Rocky, touchdown. You know? It's interesting because uh, even as we worship together this morning, um, people raise their hands. And, and I, I, not that I'm sitting there in judgment, because I'm not. I just I, I ask the question um, of myself and of the community a little bit. What is it that we are engaging in? 
I mean, uh, is, it, is it simply that God moves us in our heart to we can't do anything but lift our hands to him? Is it a sign of surrender? If, is it a, a sign of, of submission? Whatever. And I think one of the things that I'm coming, walking through during this worship series is that as we engage in these postures of worship, that we're going to be talking about more, that as we talk about them, that we have more of an understanding, even how Scripture teaches them, even how Scripture speaks of them, that, you know, here we just have funny motions that this guy's describing, but Scripture itself has a description of them, or at least gives us some clarity of what people are doing while they worship God and they lift their hands up, for example, or when they bow down. And for us to spend some time learning more about this, I want us to turn together to Psalm 28. I want to encourage you to turn your Bibles there. And we're going to read the whole psalm. And as we do so, Let's pray that God speaks to us and we can hear his voice clearly. We praise you, O God, that we can laugh together and that we can be reminded not to take ourselves too seriously, but that, Lord, we can also, in the midst of all of that, take um, the thinking about worship, the thinking about what it is that we're doing and why we're doing it, that we can take it seriously and that we understand we're worshiping the creator of the universe. We're worshiping the one who saved us from ourselves and from our sin. We're worshiping the one who has given everything for us and who asks everything of us. Father, may our consideration of those things have a gravity, have an impact, have a power in us. Lord, may we understand more deeply who you are and how you call us to give you praise and worship. Uh, That's work that you alone do in us through your spirit because of the work of Jesus. We pray these things in Christ. Amen. Reading from Psalm chapter, or Psalm 28. To you I call, O Lord my rock, do not turn a deaf ear to me. For if you remain silent, I will be like those who have gone down to the pit. Hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help, as I lift up my hands toward your most holy place. Do not drag me away with the wicked, with those who do evil, who speak cordially with their neighbors, but harbor malice in their hearts. Repay them for their deeds and for their evil work. Repay them for what their hands have done and bring them back upon them and bring back upon them what they deserve. Since they show no regard for the works of the Lord and what his hands have done, he will tear them down and never build them up again. Praise be to the Lord. For he has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I I am helped. My heart leaps for joy. And I will give thanks to him in song. The Lord is the strength of his people, a fortress of salvation for his anointed one. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. This is the word of the Lord. Now you see in this psalm, 
that really only once is the idea of raising hands in praise to God mentioned. And that's in um, verse 3. You can actually skip ahead here, um, Jimmy. So why would this be such an indicative passage of what it means for us to raise hands? Well, there are three mentionings of the word hands in the psalm. If you look for them, you'll find them. One in verse, I believe it's two or three, with raising hands. I think that might be in verse three. And then verse four and verse five, we have two other mentionings of hands. And it's interesting because both of those mentionings of hands in verse 4 and verse 5 are the exact same phrase except with a different subject to the phrase. The first one is the hands of the evil ones. The second one is the hands of God. And there is an interesting contrast between them. Because as we hear what the psalmist says here, he is in essence saying, because the hands of the wicked have been focused on the things that they, it, they, that they, that they are doing, they miss out on what it is that God is doing. In fact, that's the judgment that is posed against people who do wicked with their hands in verse 5. They missed what it was that God is doing or God has done, and that in and of itself brings his judgment upon them. And it's interesting that we have that contrast because on the one hand, we have what God has done, that God is active in all things, that God is moving and God is changing and transforming his creation. And on the other hand, we have the wicked who, because they are so focused upon their own plans, purposes, their own actions, their own agendas, that they're they're focused, they're somewhat myopic over here that they miss out on what God is doing. They are, to use a good term for it, self-dependent. They're self-dependent, so they're missing out on who God is. And that brings up the sin. And the sin here that they are judged for is a sin of independence from God. Those who do evil are those whose lives are so tied up in themselves and their own stuff that they miss or ignore God's work. Again, that self-dependence, and I want you to think through that just a little bit for yourself. We get so focused on our own agenda, our own plan, our own purpose, our own ideals, our own, our own stuff, that because all of this stuff demands so much of us that we miss what God is doing. And that in and of itself, God claims as sin because this is independence. This is not about trust. This is not about saying God cares for me, God moves in me, God, uh, God is the God of question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism, verse 1, that he cares for me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without his will, that we don't see that, that there is this focus on if we don't get these things done, they're not going to happen. That's sin. It's a problem. What we're talking about here is fundamentally a lack of faith. And we understand 
from the scriptures that belief and trust in God for all things is fundamentally one of the things that he demands of us first and foremost. The first commandment. Love the Lord your God only above all things. Him, because he will care for you. And if you and I are not doing that with the focus that we have upon ourselves, our own agendas, our own plans, our own purposes, then what we're exhibiting is a lack of faith. It's rampant in our world, isn't it? That idea of us being so distracted by things that we miss out on what God is doing. How much of God's work around us do we miss because we are tied so tightly around ourselves and what we're doing? How many of you would say that this at least describes you on some level? For sure, right? I mean, we have, we have full schedules, We've talked about it before. I've talked about it so many times before. And the problem is, is that, like I've said to you before, I preach with a mirror right here. I keep on preaching about it because I know that it's something that I need to work on. And because I know it's something that I need to work on, I'm going to keep preaching about it until I get it right. So you can pretty much expect that I'm going to be preaching about it until I'm dead. Ultimately, all of us get so focused on life and what goes on in our lives, in the lives of our kids, in the lives of our family, in the lives of our work, in the lives of our neighborhood, in the lives of whatever, that we miss out on what God is doing. We miss out on the activity of God in our lives. It's almost like, you know, uh, and maybe you've had this with your kids. You're driving down the road, and because we're in such a a technology or culture, that your kids are watching, um, let's say, for example, they're watching the DVD player while you're driving through Yosemite, right? You know what I'm talking about? They're looking at SpongeBob SquarePants and Half Domes right over there. In many ways, folks, we're watching SpongeBob SquarePants. And we're missing out on the beauty of what it is that God is doing in the world and in our lives. Because our lack of focus and ability to connect with what He is doing and to listen and to see with eyes that can see, to hear with ears that can hear, how active God is in us and in our lives. And folks, it's a lack of faith. Self-dependence. Exactly in verse 4 of Psalm 28, what the evil, what the wicked are judged for. They miss out on what God is doing. Let me pose a couple questions for you. If I pose the questions... Question, what do you have? And you can insert any good thing there. What do you have? um, Not what do you have. Why do you have these things? How many of you would say, okay, you've got a good business. I have a good business or I have a strong business because I worked hard for it. Don't put up your hands for these questions. I worked hard for it. 
How come you have a good marriage? Because we spend a lot of time. We spend a lot of time focusing on our marriage. How come you have good kids? Because we've led them well. All that other sort of stuff. And don't get me wrong, there is a component there in which we understand that it is about us doing the right things with our kids, with our lives, with our family. But how many of us see primarily, we see everything through that filter of, I have any good thing. I have a good job. I have a good business. I have good health. I have a good marriage. I have a good family. I have a good whatever because God has given it to me. God has worked according to his plans and his purpose to give it to me. And everything else that comes afterwards is because I have worked hard or I've done well, or we've spent time focusing on our relationship, whatever it is. For us, and, and, and here's what I know. I know because I do it. I give that tacit statement, oh, yes, of course, God gave me everything. Right? I mean, that, there's that. And, but it's almost like saying, I, I don't even know what it's like saying. It's, just, it's, it's not something that we believe in our heart of hearts. We would say, oh, of course, God gives it to, God has given it to us. But we really think in some place in here, but God gave it to me because I worked hard. Self-dependent. And God is calling us to a new place in our hearts and our minds where that filter is so much thicker in how we see everything. I stand up here and preach to you not because of how good Scott Elgersma is at writing a sermon. I preach and I speak to you because... If I don't have Christ doing this in me, you're getting fluff and drivel that ain't worth the paper it's written on. That I walk through the day that I have, that you spend time in the work that you have because God, according to his plan and his purpose, from the dawn of creation, knit you together, knit the world together in such a way that he wants you with your gifts, your abilities, your talents in that spot doing exactly what it is that you are doing because it glorifies himself and he wants to receive as much glory as he possibly can. That's why you are where you are. Not because. Not because you worked hard. And if you worked hard, it's because God gave you the ability to work hard in the first place. All of this stuff fundamentally comes back to the source that is God. And for us to live out every moment of every day, every step, every breath, we say the words Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It means everything. I I take a step. I take a step for God's glory and because he loves me. I take a breath for God's glory and because he loves me. And for us to make that filter in our lives that much thicker, for us to say, Lord, less of me, more of you, less of me. More of you is a good place for us constantly to be going. I want you to ask this question. Do you believe, even sitting here right now, do you need God and his work in your life? And again, it's not the tacit, oh, of course I do. Heart of hearts, depths of your soul, 
Fundamental identity. Do you understand that when you wake up in the morning, you need God to be present in every second of every day, transforming you through the work of Jesus Christ? And that when you finally hit the bed at the end of the day, when you close your eyes, that you do so there because of his presence, because of his love, and because he's the one who gets you there. Do you need Jesus and his work in your life? And do you believe that? I want you to think for a moment about how we sort of work and how we grow as human beings, even as, as, as we think of, uh, in relation to our parents. Like 75 of you have newborns, so you know what I'm talking about. Newborn babies, when they um, show up, they just sort of lay there. And when they have needs, they cry and they kick their arms and their legs, but they don't do this yet. Right? They gotta they gotta figure that out. At first it's just ah! and finally, when enough times happens where mom or dad comes up when they do ah! and they see that mom and dad are coming to them, what do they do with their hands? What do they do? They reach out. Why? Because by reaching out they are saying, I need you and I trust you that you will care for me in the thing that I can't take care of. And by the way, it's been sitting there in my pants for the last 30 minutes. Thank you. So there is that movement. And then it gets even more pronounced over time. It's not just based on need. Then it becomes more even based on what? Watch this between the uh, services in the fellowship hall. You're going to see a whole group of moms. Generally, it's moms. It's sometimes dads. But they're going to have little kids ages like 18 months to three years. And those little kids are going to be grabbing on to mom's leg. And they're going to be screaming, lift me up. Hold me. I used to hear, uh, we had friends, and instead of saying, hold me, the baby would say, or the kid would say, hold you, hold you, mama, hold you. And mom just wants to have an adult conversation for like 30 seconds, so she's going to be, just wait, and then they'll get in the car later on and have the conversation that every parent has with their child. You know how that's going to work. But that, and then, though, it doesn't stop there. There's this urgency about it. But then over time, I have a, I have a nine-year-old boy. And only every once in a while does my nine-year-old boy come to me and say, I need you. And I have a 19-year-old girl. And her need me is not with her hands raised. It's with her hand out. <laughs> we go through that process But eventually, it's interesting, eventually we get to that point where we don't even raise our hands to anyone. Many of us do. And there's that level of space, there's that place where we live, where we become what? As my daughter gets older, as my college-age daughter gets older, the reason she doesn't extend her hands to me is because she is gaining independence. She doesn't depend on me anymore. So what do you think I'm going to say to you that raising hands in worship is a sign of? Raising hands in worship is a sign of us saying, 
I depend on you, O Lord my God, because without you I have nothing. Without you I cannot care for my needs. Without you I am not capable of facing today. Without you I will fail miserably in all I do. Daddy, hold you. Hold you, Dad. Hold you. Verses 6 through 9 of Psalm 28. They're powerful verses of praise. They're words of hope, words of love, words of strength, encouragement, salvation, etc. Fundamentally, however, these are all words of dependence. The psalmist is saying, I need all of these things in my life for my life to flourish and grow. And the only one who can give them is you, O Lord, my God. They're words of dependence. In verse 2, David truly is in essence saying, the only hands that I will trust in are yours. Here's mine. Do with them what you will. When David raises his hands in praise to the holy hill, he is saying, I know what the evil ones do. I know what the wicked do. They're focused down here, and they miss what you are doing, and you are judging them because they are self-dependent. I don't want to do that. I only want the action in my life to be whose work? God's work. The only action, the only hands that are active in my life are God's hands. If he chooses to use my hands to do it, according to his his will and his purpose. If he chooses to use someone else's hands to do it and be active in my life, to him be the glory. But I offer up to you, O Lord, my God, my hands, because I can't trust them. But I can trust you. And I can trust that you will use me to do all good things for your glory. Here they are. In in raising his hands, David is expressing his faith. That God is God, and he provides everything for his people. He is saying, I trust in you. You're mine, I'm yours, and without you I'm nothing. Now for us, God has provided for our every need. And, you know, I know there are specific things that we need to do, we need to work at, we need to be about. But again, having that filter that's a thick one that filters everything through, God is the source of all things. God is the source of all good. I go where I go for lunch today and do what I do this afternoon and come to worship tonight. I go to work tomorrow. I do whatever it is I do with my families according to God's plan and God's purpose, and I will submit to 
them. Within those, those details that I need to be about, but even those, I say, Lord, this is yours. You take care of me, even in these little things, even in the details. The phrase, the devil is in the details, is such a lie. The spirit is in the details. As we understand that every single thing that we do in work, in home, in family, in whatever, is for God's glory and for us to have that as part of our breath. For you, O Lord. For you, O Lord. For your glory, O Lord. In all we do is a good place for us to go. In grace, God has fulfilled our every request and every promise, both of this psalm and whatever we could ask of him. And for us to viscerally, with our bodies, with our actions, with our postures, respond in faith by raising our hands in faith and trust for what he has done for us, that's good growth. And I know what you're going to say to me. You're going to say to me, But that's not how I was raised. How many of you want to say, you're asking me to raise my hands in worship, Pastor Scott. You're going to say, but that's not how I was going to raise. That's going to be one of your things. Who wants to say that? Thank you, George. You're the only honest person here in church, which I never thought I'd say. I want you to hear me here. I think this is a phrase that God gave me at 3 o'clock in the morning one time. I have those moments. That raising your hands in worship may not be how you were raised, but it's how you were made. You hearing me? Raising your hands in worship may not be how you were raised, but it's how you were made. Work that through. Spend some time before God with that. Is he calling you in obedience to raise your hands in worship and faith and trust? Not because of you, your tradition, but because he made you to be dependent upon him. And as you and I respond to God's movement in our lives with faith, raising our hands in faith and saying, hold you, Jesus, hold you that we are being the people that God has called us to be, that we are being the people that God made us to be. Now remember that faith and its expression grows as we mature with hearts open to God's transformation. If you look up Mark, 20, Mark 9, 24, it's the Roman centurion who says, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Understand that we are always in process. That God is working in us to grow faith and understanding, grow belief and trust in him. Now, how this might work. Believe me, I am not sitting here saying to any of you that on this last song that we sing, that if you don't raise your hands, that you're not a good Christian. I am certainly not going to say that. That would not be wise or godly. In fact, I believe it would be sinful. But here's how this might work. That if you know that God is calling you to be a deeper person of faith, that as that song plays, if you want to raise your hands and God has called you and you think God is moving in you to do it, then you do it. Great. Wonderful. But maybe, maybe you don't do that. 
because that's not what God is calling you to right now. But sometime this week, it's like 6.30 in the morning, you're driving out of your driveway to go to work, and you look over and you look east and you see the sun begin to break over the mountains right about then, because that's the time that it breaks right now, because that's when I take Kobe for a walk and we see it every morning. You can look out and you see God show himself. Surprise, I'm here again. That maybe for only a moment, you say, oh Lord of God, I trust in you today. You will care for me in all things, and I believe you are God. Show yourself in all that I do. Or maybe, maybe it's at a time at your family devotions this week that you ask your child, do you believe, do you trust Jesus for everything? And they say yes. And you say, do you surrender to Jesus? And they say yes. And you say, what do you do? What do you see on TV when somebody says, I surrender? Put your hands up. Do you surrender to Jesus? However this works. I'm not sitting here saying this is a prescription. I'm just telling you what I believe the Bible says. Raising hands in worship to God is. And as God moves and impacts and challenges and transforms you, that you might be obedient to that calling. People of the river, my prayer for you is not so much that I catch you sometime this week doing this, but that God moves in you this week, that you might trust in him more deeply, love him so much more that you can't do anything else but this. Let me pray for you. Praise you, O God, for your work in our hearts and our minds. Thank you that, Lord, you give us opportunities to respond to who you are. You give us the ability with our lives to say we trust in you by taking steps of faith And sometimes that steps of faith is in some sort of ministry activity or change that we're making or or risks that we're taking. Sometimes it's simply in saying, we surrender to you, O God. Hold you. Hold you, O Father. And we raise our hands in worship to you. Father, equip and empower us through your spirit to discern what you are doing in our hearts, even in the quickening moments. When we feel your spirit move in us, Lord, may we be obedient to the calling you put on our lives and respond to that calling in obedience so that we don't miss the things that you are doing in and around us every day. We pray these things all in Jesus' name. Amen.